Amen. All right. Let's see, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Rebecca and Brenda out the back. All right. And as those guys go out, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Nehemiah today. So if you would turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is to the left of Job and Psalms, right there, one of the history books. And uh, here, I'll give you a little background today. We're going to be in Nehemiah all the month of January, and I tell you, I say this every week, don't I? But this really is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. I say that about all the books of the Bible, don't I? But anyway, really, I mean it for Nehemiah, at least this this today. Anyway, they're they're so great. Wow, we're a little lopsided today, aren't we? A little bit. You know, I, uh, before I get started, I had a dream last night. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I had a dream last night that I, um, we were meeting actually in a mall, um, is where our church was, in a, a big movie theater. And um, before I, I was going to preach, I was, tr- I was looking for a copy machine so I could make copies of stuff for everyone. And uh, I looked, it was like a big two-story mall, great big thing. And I, I didn't know where the copy machine was. So I was going from store to store. Anybody know where the copy machine is? Looking for copy and then I got up to preach, and the sound system went bad, and it all fell apart. It was yeah, very odd, very strange dream. So anyway, I was relieved this morning. I walked into the office, copy machine. Uh, so I knew it was going to all be okay. So anyway, um, I, I, but anyway, I'm glad you're here. I know we got a lot of some folks out sick and out traveling and stuff, so, uh, and, and some folks, I don't know where they are today, actually. But anyway, hope they're doing okay. So um, anyway, we're going to start. Let me give you a little bit of background. It's a little bit confusing when you go through the different prophets and the history books. Let me give you a little bit of background about Nehemiah. Okay, and, and let me just give you some rough dates here. But about 700 B.C., the uh, Israelites were besieged um, by uh, the Assyrians. So the Assyrians came about 700 B.C. Um, and uh, the Assyrian kings... Uh, there were several of them during the time, but anyway, they actually took and there was a practice in those days where once they conquered a people, they would, they would gather up the people, put them in chains, and, and the men in chains probably, the women and the children would be carrying the stuff, you know, the, what little goods they had, what little personal items that they had that weren't taken from them, and they would actually deport them. And so they would deport sometimes they, whenever they besieged Jerusalem, whenever they besieged the northern and the southern kingdoms over the time of the Assyrians, they actually would uh, deported thousands of people. And the Assyrians had this practice that they, to, to keep those people from gathering back together and, and building some kind of, you know, uh, uh, um, 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 syncrasy, what's that word, um, uh, together, um, they would actually move in people from other parts of the world and mix them in to replace the people who they deported. So they were kind of, it's kind of the pea and, and shell game, right? They're just moving people around. But the idea was you conquer it a people, you move some other people out, move some other people in, and then they kind of lost their national identity and it would prevent them from rebelling against you. You know, because they could never gather up enough inertia, enough people, enough people of the same of similar thinking to uh, to come together. So it was under the Assyrians actually that the Samaritans. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Um, and that's kind of where that came from. There was some some um, some uh, uh, intermarrying then happened with some of the people that the Assyrians had brought in. Well, after the Assyrians came, their power declined really pretty quickly. Um, about 640, um, just about, oh, I don't know, about, uh, about 60 years later already, their power had declined so much um, that, um, that there was a kind of a peace over that time in, in Israel or over what had been Israel and Ju- Judah, uh, but, uh, but it was kind of a, a difficult peace. 
they had a little bit of self-rule during the time. This is the time that Zephaniah ruled. This is what we're reading for, for the end of this, uh, this month is Zephaniah. So Zephaniah, I say ruled, prophesied. Um, so Zephaniah was about that time, about 640 uh, B.C. Well, then came the Babylonians. The Babylonians came to power. The Babylonians um, moved in. They took captives from Samaria. They destroyed Jerusalem. This is all about 600 B.C., about 586 B.C. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and they destroyed the city wall around Jerusalem. It was all destroyed. Um, and the Babylonians approached things a little differently than the Assyrians. The Babylonians, under the famous king Nebuchadnezzar, um, they actually took the leaders and the craftsmen, the, the people who were the leaders and the most skilled of the people that they had conquered, and they actually would pull them back and bring them to the capitals of their cities. And then so that they would basically, then they would leave uh, people who were there with no leadership, with, with none of the skilled crafts that some of the folks had, and basically they just left the poor in place. That's how the Babylonians uh, um, did their conquering. And that's the time that, that, for example, that Daniel was taken to Babylon that you're familiar with. Um, so they just left the poor there. Well, then just a few years later, the, in about 539 B.C., the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. So here we have the Assyrians in 700, the, the Babylonians in 600, about 539, then the Persians came, and they overthrow the Babylonians. This is basically, this is also the same Persians that moved into Greece and conquered the Greeks, right, and uh, moved into uh, Athens. You remember the story of the 300 of the, of, of the uh, Spartans? This is all that same time period, these same Persians that were over in the Middle East, also over in Greece, um, who, uh, who conquered, um, um, uh, conquered Samaria as well. But anyway, but under the Persians, the, um, the Jews were actually allowed, some of those people who had been deported and exiled got to start returning to their homeland. They got to start returning to what was once Jerusalem, to what was left of the ruins in Jerusalem. So that was in 539. In 538, the first Jewish uh, exiles returned to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. And, and then um, in 458, Ezra took back a second group of exiles to rebuild the temple. And then Nehemiah finally, in about 445 B.C., he came and returned to Israel. But you remember, all during this time, the people of Israel had been scattered. This is a, right, a term called diaspora, where they had been scattered all over uh, the region, which is kind of funny because God had said very early on that, that this is what was going to happen, that the people of Israel, would, the, the Israelites would not hold to their part of the covenant, and so the Lord would scatter them all over. But he had made a promise that if they would humble themselves and pray to him that he would restore them and would bring them back together. We're going to read that a little bit here in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah comes, and let me just give you a little bit of background in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, probably one of several cupbearers. He was one who, who served the king. And uh, so here he is, and we're going to read a little bit of his story, uh, story here this morning as we kick off in Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah chapter 1, and I don't want you to forget where the Israelites are. They're living in a city, and there's been two groups of people who've returned to Jerusalem and have attempted to rebuild. But in Ezra, that, Ezra goes to Jerusalem right before uh, Nehemiah does, but um, the, the, the city walls are fallen down. The temple's been rebuilt some, but, but the, the city walls are all torn down, and the people that are there are just a remnant. The most gifted, the most talented, the, most lead, the, the people with the, the best leadership have been deported. And now this is two and three generations after that. So, so Nehemiah would have been a second or third generation exile, right? And then the people who are left in Jerusalem are just a remnant of what's left. And the glory that was once Jerusalem, the glory that was once the temple is all kind of faded at this time because they've been a, they've been a defeated and a scattered people. Okay, 
then Nehemiah steps into the scene as God ordained. Okay, the words of, uh, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to read the entire first chapter and into the first, second chapter a little bit here this morning and uh, get going here. So let's go. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to Judah with some, uh, some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Okay, so what's happening is some of the brothers, some of, his, some of his Israelite brothers, by the way, before the diaspora, before they're all scattered, they're called Israelites. After the nation of Israel is put down at about 7, that starts really about 720, 722 B.C. and wouldn't happen, right? So for 700 years before Christ and until about, what, 1958? No, 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 1948 when the Israelite state is created, right? So for 2,700 years, there's no Israel, right? Okay. Right in the fat middle of this here, we're going to read about Nehemiah. Well, kind of toward the beginning-ish time frame. But anyway, there is no Israel. So what they were referred to from this time out, you can, you can read it. You can see it. They're not called Israelites here. They're called Jews. From this point forward, they'd be called Jews because they'd been scattered and they had no longer had that, that national identity, identity anymore. Okay. Um, so anyway, so Nehemiah is off and he's one of the people, he's one of the families now. He's part of the, one of the families that has been exiled and he's there in the capital with a Persian king. And uh, so here's the, here's the report. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in trouble, great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. All right, let's read verse 4. No, 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 let's stop just there for just a minute. So what's happening? So the people of Israel are living in a city, and the city has no wall. This is, I, I, this is hard for us to imagine about why that would be a big deal, but it would be, be basically like saying a nation has no police force and no army. They have no defenses. They have nothing to protect them from outside influences, pe- people coming in and, and robbing them, people coming in and killing them, you know, nomadic tribes, someone who might come in and just see what they could squander from them. Without a city wall to protect them, they were left exposed and actually embarrassed. Right? This was shameful. One of the things that they report is that they're, it's, it's, a, it's a troubling scene because they're exposed to the outside world and they're exposed to foreign enemies. But the worst part is, of course, it's shameful, the state that they're living in. I'm not going to get into that very much today, but it's interesting to note that the people of Israel or the people of, of Jerusalem had lived there and some of the exiles had come back, but the city walls have now been destroyed for 140 years. It had been laying in ruins, all right, 140 years. And people had been living there apparently the entire time. The city was never completely desolate. There had always been people living there, even though there had been several people, you know, thousands of people deported from the city. But there had been people living there for 140 years. So can you imagine the people who had lived there, the people who are living there now knew nothing about what the city walls looked like, right? They knew nothing about the previous glory. All they saw was ruin and rubble, and they lived there, and they kind of got used to it, I'm sure, over time, and kind of complacent about it all, about the status quo. Look, listen to what Nehemiah says. When I heard these things in verse 4, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I, I tell you, I, I, when you hear Nehemiah's response here, I, 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 I'm kind of, it, it catches my attention. Nehemiah is overwhelmed by this terrible and tragic news. And it must have been really difficult for him to hear because he cared about what happened with his people, but he was so moved that he mourns. He sits down and he mourns and he weeps and he prays and he fasts to God for some time. And actually, we're going to read here just a little bit how how much time he spends, but he's going to sit and, and pray. And one of the things that I want to be asking you back and forth about the sermon today is, 
what is it in your life? What is it in your family? What is it in your church? What is, what is it about our world or our society that causes you and I this kind of response? What is it that catches your attention that you think this is, this is so terrible, this is so shameful that I weep and I mourn and I'm burdened about this thing because it's not the way it ought to be. Things aren't the way they ought to be. Can I suggest to you that there are things in our family, there are things in our own lives, there are things in our church, there are things in our community, there are things in our society, there are things in our world that aren't right. And as God's people, we ought to have God's heart for those things and realize and and seek the Lord and pray about them and have a real burden for some things that we want to see the Lord move and that we want to see the Lord change because we know they're not right. Yeah. All right, that, let's, uh, let's continue on and see what happens. Then we have this beautiful prayer in, in beginning in verse 5 where Nehemiah is going to, this is what he captures one of the things you're going to see about every other chapter or in the beginning, it's every chapter, you're going to see Nehemiah is a praying man. He's going to stop and he's going to pray and he's going to ask for the Lord's help over and over and over again in this book. And it's just a beautiful thing that we capture, that, they, that he's captured his prayers for us here this morning that we might be encouraged and, and, and pray like him, learn to pray like him. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Uh, don't you love how he opens in, in verse 5? He, just, he praises the greatness and the faithfulness of God before he does anything else. Now his heart is broken and he's burdened and he's down and he's mourning and he's weeping. But the first thing he does in prayer is he recognizes the greatness and the awesomeness and the faithfulness of God. Can I suggest to you, this is perfect. This is actually the way, the same way that Jesus modeled prayer for us, is that you start prayer with God. And you know why that's so important? Is because if all we're focused on, and too many times all we're focused on is our problems, our problems seem to be bigger than they are, and our God seems to be smaller than He is. You start with the greatness of God. You start with, with praising Him and glorifying Him for who He is and for what He's done, and it all puts it all back in perspective for you, Right? Nehemiah was facing this horrible thing where the walls of the city had been broken down. There had been people who had exiled. There were families who had never returned to Israel, never returned to Jerusalem. They would never come back. And he had a vision here that would come later where he would rebuild the wall. And it just seemed impossible. It just seemed like a hopeless task. For 140 years it had been that way. What made anyone think that it would be any different? But he starts by saying, God, you are great, you are awesome, and you are faithful. That's uh, great. It's fantastic. And, and, and no matter what is going on in your life and my life, it ne- nothing is ever hopeless, is it? Because our God is just that big. Amen? There is nothing that his arm cannot do, that his strength cannot accomplish. Nothing is outside of his ability and his power. Verse 6, let your ear, now he, now he prays and he beseeches the Lord. He says, hear me, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before you. Now listen, how often is he praying? Day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel. Let's pause there for just a minute. So we see in the beginning that he started praying, and he says that he's praying day and night. And here again, he says, no, I'm praying day and night, and I want to ask you as God's people, what is it that you're burdened with? What is it that, that, that bothers you? What is it that you know isn't right in your life, in your family, in our church, in our society? What is it that isn't right that has you on your knees day and night praying and beseeching the Lord about it? Say, Lord, you have to move. You have to do something here. I know this is not how you would want it. I know 
know this is not what you desire, so Lord, you have to intervene. You have to make this right. What is it that, that, that gives us that kind of a burden? In the middle of verse 6, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. One of the themes that you're going to see also in the prayers of Nehemiah is repentance. Listen, Nehemiah is no fool. He understands what's happened here. The reason that the Israelites have been scattered, the reason they've been defeated, is because they were sinful and they rebelled against God. And so he starts by saying, before he deals with anything else, before he makes any other requests, he says, I know my sin. I know the sin of my family, and I know the sin of my people. And here he prays this beautiful prayer. And I know as Americans, we're so individualistic that we think in terms of, of, of our relationship with God as being very individualistic. But listen, God deals with people, but he also deals with nations, right? Your sin and my sin is also the sin of our nation, hmm? as the sin of our people, right? The sin of our people is yours and my sin as well, right? One of the reasons why it's not a bad thing, right, for us to confess the sins of the unbelievers in our country and our society, right? It's, not, it's, a, it's a good thing for us to do, to confess and to remember that the Lord is treating us sometimes how we deserve. How about that? Okay, moving on. Um, I confess the sins of Israel, it's including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. So the very first thing he prays is he says, Lord, you are great, you are awesome, you are faithful. And the next thing is, and we are sinful and we've sinned against you, me, myself, my family, my nation. We've sinned against you. And he humbles himself before God and makes repentance and confession about his sin and, and the sin of his people. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember, now, now we're going to move on to the next part of the prayer, where he's going to remember the promises of God in his prayer. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Guess what happened? They were unfaithful and God scattered them among the nations. That happened with Moses, right? That happened a couple thousand years, right, before, uh, before Christ. This happened long before and God told them it was going to happen. You obey my commandments or I will scatter you. So it, how about this in, in the history of, of in, God's, uh, in God's providence? So God told them, if you don't obey me, I will scatter you. Well, how is he going to do that? He brought up the Assyrians. He caused the nation to rise and to fall. He brought up the Babylonians. He caused the nation to rise and to fall. And he brought up the, per the Persians, and he caused that nation to rise and to fall. For what purpose? One of them was to scatter his people. One of the things that this did was it caused God's people to get very serious about their relationship with God and the purity. You remember the Israelites struggled so badly with idolatry. One of the things that would happen when they got deported and when they got exiled in other nations, the purity and the, of their dedication and devotion to the Lord in several instances for several of these people, they got much more dedicated to the, to the Lord. Is it, aren't we like that, though? Aren't we still the same way today? When have, you, when have you been the most devoted and the most dedicated to the Lord? Wasn't it when you're going through difficulty? Wasn't it when you're going through hardship? Wasn't it when you're going through loss? Wasn't it when you're going through a dark period? There's something in us, something I think a little maybe a little bit of, of, of sinful human rebellion in us that refuses to turn to God except when times get very, very bad. Yeah, we're just that stubborn. We're just that rebellious. And that is what God did. He brought them through a time, a, a period where he would be purifying their devotion to them. And this happened through this incredible, terrible thing that would happen through the, uh, through the captivity and the capture of all of the people 
not all of the people, sorry, through, all, through the, uh, the destruction of Israel. Just incredible stuff. Uh, so how about that for providence? God's, God causing the rise and the fall of nations, just as he had promised, just as he had said he would do. But anyway, that's the first part. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Verse 9, but if you return to me and obey my, my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. This talk, all these promises that he's talking about are from Leviticus and from Deuteronomy, where God is telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to be faithful to me, and so I'm going to scatter you all, but then you're going to turn back to me, and I'll gather you all back together uh, in my, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm going to gather you all back together. And in verse 10, he goes back and he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. He's thinking probably about the time that he brought them out of, out of Egypt and he redeemed them by, he, he bought them out of slavery and God put them in their own land. He's remembering that time. He says, they're yours, Lord. Remember, they're your people. They're your people whom you redeemed. And he says, oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor and the presence of this man. Who's he talking about? Well, here we go. Um, but let me, yeah, no, let's go on. Okay, in the month of, of Nisan, I should have liked to look up how to pronounce these. Let's say Nisan. Do you like that? You've heard of that before? Okay, let me tell you, Kislev and Nisan. Um, Kislev is, is when he started, right? That's where we started in, cha- in cha- uh, the first part of chapter 1, right? Kislev is like late fall, early winter time. Right, and so what? And then what happens here in Nissan is that this is early spring time, late winter, early spring is when this happens. So tell me, what's Nehemiah been doing for four months? Tim, I brought this up to me. Right, what's he been doing? He's been praying, apparently. Praying, fasting. He says a couple of times, "I pray day and night." Here again, let me ask, what? things are in our society, in your family, in your own life, in our own church, what things do you have a burden about that, that get to you this much, that cause you to seek the Lord with this kind of devotion? What, what is it? I, you know, I, I want to ask that because I, I want you to think about it. Are, are there some terrible things wrong? Are, are there things wrong? Are there, is there trouble in your own life? Is there trouble and shame in your own life? Is there trouble and shame in your family? Is there trouble and shame in our church? Is there trouble and shame in our society? Can I suggest to you that probably the answer in all those cases is yes. There's always something that we need the Lord's help in redeeming and making right. It's always going to be the case in this fallen body and in this fallen nature that we're in and as fallen people. There's always going to be something that needs to be made right. Always, right? My life, your life. Right, our church, our society, everything. Anything to be seeking the Lord about uh, as a society? My goodness, is there no end to senseless killing? You know, in, in the world, you read about the, the woman in India who was raped, who, who just died last week. Uh, horrific crimes being committed by, by heartless, apparently heartless, heartless people. Just incredible. Anything to be upset about? Anything to be carrying a burden for? My suggestion is, or my, my thought is, as I read through what Nehemiah is doing here, is, man, where do you stop, right? Where do you end? How do we do anything but pray? You know what I mean? There's, a, there's so much for us to be really devoted to asking the Lord, please bring change. Please bring redemption 
to our society. Please bring, bring salvation. Pre- please buy back what's wrong here in my life or in my family or in our church or in our society or in our world. What things should we be seeking the Lord about? I, I really want to ask you that. I, really, I, I pray as you read through Nehemiah and, and you see him praying and seeking the Lord for months at a time or, or even just for a moment, we're going to read here in just a minute, even just for a moment, he is seeking the Lord for all of these things. We're going to talk about what that did for him. But anyway, in the month of Nisan, so four months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes again was a Persian, right? One of the Persian kings. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Why do you suppose he wasn't sad in the king's presence before? Huh? Didn't know about Jerusalem? Yeah, what else? Well, yeah, my guess is if you came in sad before the king, the king like, uh, don't be bringing me your problems. You know, I don't want to see that. You need to be cheerful. I want to see a smile on your face. I don't, I don't want to hear any of your personal problems. Yeah, king probably not very friendly about those sorts of things. But anyway, look, but look at the influence that Nehemiah has. Pretty, pretty incredible. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Again, why do you think he was afraid? He's going to bring his problems to the king. king what's the king care about Jerusalem, right? And, uh, and af- afraid probably because the king said, well, that's not my problem. Why don't I just kill you or something? But anyway, but listen to what he says. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by, fi- by fire? Verse 4, then the king said to me, what is it you want? Now listen, this is so beautiful. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And answered the king. Uh, isn't that great? So he spends four months praying, four months praying and, and, and about this moment. He spends four months just biding his time until he had the time right and he felt like this was the time that, the God, that God had set apart for him to approach the king about. And then here he says, uh, why should I be sad? Right? The, the city of Jerusalem's in ruins. And he says, what do you want? And there in just a breath, there in just a moment, he says a simple prayer to say that, that uh, yeah, and I prayed to the God of heaven. So therefore, in just a moment, he prays a really short prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great that, that he spends day and night praying and day and night praying and day and night praying for months, and then just before the answer is a king, in just a moment's notice, just a breath, he says, oh, Lord, help me, right? And, and prays that beautiful short prayer. Uh, and, and, and so beautiful, too, for us to remember that, you know, prayer is all the time. Prayer, prayer is, prayer is a, we've got a restored relationship with the Father, right? We, we commune with Him at any time. We can communicate with Him at any time because Jesus Christ has restored the relationship that was once broken. The, the, the wall of sin that divided us once is now restored, and we can approach Him any moment. We can pray day and night, or we can pray at a moment's notice during the daytime. That's fantastic. I love that. Okay, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if I, I your servant, has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. That would kick off what would be now the next um, several, well, it's actually just a couple of months, um, when, when Nehemiah would travel to Jerusalem and begin to make repairs. And, and we'll get to read that. But my question for you is this. In Nehemiah chapter 1, what do we see in Nehemiah? What's, what's his, what's his, um, what's his uh, attitude like? It says he's mourning and weeping and fasting and praying. What happens now in verse 2 or chapter 2, it says, he says, Now, king, grant me this. Let me return to Jerusalem so that I may rebuild the city wall. What a difference there is, right? In the first part in chapter 1, he's mourning and he's weeping and he's sad and he's broken about what's happened. He's burdened. But in chapter 2, we have all of a sudden 
he has a plan. All of a sudden, he has a vision of a rebuilt and a restored Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem. The city walls have been restored and the gates would have been rebuilt. And he has this vision about what this looks like. And he's got a plan to make it happen. And I'll let you guys, as you read this week in in, uh, Nehemiah, let you read about how it all happens. But he's got this plan in place. And my question is, What's the difference? Where did it all come from? How did he get from chapter 1, just being sorrowful and broken about it, and chapter 2 where he says, I've got a plan to rebuild it and to make it right? How does he go from just having a burden to having a vision? How does he go from just being sorrowful to being personally involved? How does he go from just being broken and sad about it to saying the Lord has given me a vision and direction to fix it? I think the answer is he spent four months in prayer. All right, now, here's the big point. You ready? Okay. Um, Here's the big point. I think the reason we lack vision and direction for our children, for our own lives, in our church, for our society, is because we don't have this kind of dedication to seeking the Lord about much of anything. But imagine, if you will, a people who are committed to seeking the Lord about something, to seeking the Lord about what his calling for them is, about seeking the Lord about why are we here? Why have you gifted us like you have? Why have you put us here at this moment, in this time? Why in this place? Can you imagine the power of the Holy Spirit that would be unleashed if God's people committed and prayed like Nehemiah? Can you imagine the the strongholds of the enemy that would be destroyed because God would step in and 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 um, what's the word um, and use His power to bring down the strongholds of the enemy? Can you imagine? Uh, the vision that would be born? Can you imagine the direction that would be born in your family and in your own life and in our church and in our society and in our own community if we had this kind of devotion to prayer? If we had this kind of seriousness about some burden that we saw that this isn't right and we sought the Lord about it and sought the Lord about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and we didn't give up until the Lord answered our prayers. Can you imagine what God would do? Can you imagine? One of the things that I love about Nehemiah, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but we see what the, the, the walls laid in ruin for 140 years. Nehemiah left Susa and traveled back to Jerusalem, and he brought timber with him and some other things to rebuild the gates. But when he came back, he shared his vision with the people, and in less than two months, they rebuilt the wall. What couldn't be done for a hundred, what wasn't done for 140 years was done through God sharing his vision for restoration for his people, and they did it all in two months. Incredible. Amazing. It, was, it seemed impossible, and for 140 years, two and three generations grew up in these ruins, in, in this trouble. But Nehemiah comes and says, I have a vision for something greater. I have a vision for, the God's, for God's restoration. I have a vision for God to build up what's been broken down. And he comes and he shares vision. And a body of God's people come together and they do what none of them could have done on the, by themselves. But they all work together. They shared the vision. They sought the Lord together. They followed Nehemiah's leadership and they rebuilt what had been broken down. 
Amazing. Beautiful story. You know, my favorite part of it, there's no miracle here, right? There's no, you know, you know bricks, didn't, bricks and mortar didn't just fall from the sky and God just, you know, dropped the wall into place. There's none of that. It's just hard work. It's just God's people doing God's work, fulfilling God's calling. It's just beautiful. And let me tell you, I think the beautiful part of this is it's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the body of Christ, isn't it? It's a, it's a metaphor for the church. It's a metaphor that this is what can happen when God's people fulfill God's calling for them about what they're able to accomplish. And that there is, there is nothing with his power and with his vision and with his direction and with his calling. There is nothing that his people can't accomplish. Amen. As you read in Nehemiah, take those home with you. If you don't have one of those, take it, take it home with you. I want you to, boy, I'd, I'd love to see you. You know, it's, it's easy to get in the habit of, of when you're going through your daily, daily re- reading, it's easy to think about it. You know, I've got to brush my teeth, I've got to shower, I've got to read my Bible, and I've got to drive to work. Th- this is not a checklist kind of a thing, right? Our, our quiet time before God is time that, that God has restored the relationship between us and time that we should meditate and think and pray and seek the Lord, and we ought to be, and that's one of the things I'd like us to do and we've been doing on Wednesday nights together is to seek the Lord together and to ask the Lord, why have you brought us here? Why are we here at this time? Why are we here in this community? And what do you accomplish? What do you want to accomplish through these people? Um, and uh, one of the great things, I think, Nehemiah, right, before he takes any action, he prays for four months, Right? What we are tempted to do is I pray five minutes and then I go do what I think I ought to do, right? Uh, no. You, you know, it, the Bible never says that when you seek the Lord with half your heart, you will find him. No. No, all the things about seeking the Lord, every passage says you have to seek him with your whole heart. You have to seek him wholeheartedly. Is there something in your life? Is there something in your family? Is there something in, your, in our church or in our society that deserves or needs that kind of devotion to the seeking of the Lord? I, I think there is. I think there is for every one of us. Amen? And I pray that we can seek and find the Lord together and, and venture into his calling and his vision for, for our church together. Amen? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. And, and I, I don't want to overstate um, Nehemiah's... Um, leadership. Certainly he was a gifted leader. Certainly you'd gifted him in, in leadership. But, but the thing is, Lord, is that this all came from you. And one of the great story, one of the great parts of Nehemiah is that he recognizes and he says, it's obvious the Lord has done this. So Father, would you do this in our midst? Would you give us a burden to seek after you? Would you give us a desire to fast and to pray for you about things that are broken and, and fallen down in our families? and in our own lives, in our church, in our society, things that are broken in our world. Lord, just evil just, just seems to just be permeating our culture our, and, our, and our world right now. There are so many just incredibly tragic stories about loss of life and, and brutality, and, and Lord, it makes our hearts heavy. Lord, give us a, a vision. Give us a desire like, like what you would have, a burden to pray about those things and to ask the Lord, would you do something about this? Would you move... You are, you are awesome, you are great, and you are faithful. Would you move? Would you move in our children's lives? Would you move in our lives? Would you move in our church? 
Would you move in this community, Lord God? Would you right what's wrong? Would you buy back and redeem what's broken and what lays in ruins? We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Hope you all have a great week. Enjoy reading in Nehemiah after we finish Zephaniah. And uh, can't wait to see you again. See you next Sunday. Thank you.